People talk about life-changing events or dramatic events, events that change everything. Well, there are actually very, very few of those, at least worldwide. But this is certainly one of them. The Spectator magazine uh, this weekend has an article which basically uh, decries the historicity, the truthfulness of the, the cross and resurrection. But nonetheless, it says that it's so amazing that this is a key pivotal event, if not the key pivotal event in the world's history. If uh, each of us, we're here, and what I want us to do this morning is to just reflect a little bit, actually really what about Easter, what Easter really does mean. I get so frustrated listening to religious programs and people talking about Easter, and I'll tell you why. After I listen to it, there's lots of fine-sounding words, but at the end you, you think, what? What does that mean? What does that involve? Uh, some of you may have heard a program went out this morning with, on BBC Scotland with Anna Magnuson. Anna was uh, trying to investigate the resurrection, the whole idea of resurrection in the light of her own personal circumstances where when she was a, a young girl, her brother died. I think he was aged 11 years old. And she uh, ha- was, and still 30 years later, is very traumatized by that and uh, if you heard the program, you would have heard how we were trying to discuss whether resurrection really could happen and what it means. And one of the things that she said that was for me fascinating in her summary was that the argument I was making was reasonable and logically consistent. In other words, what she was really saying was she found it difficult to believe in the resurrection, not because of rationality not because of logic, but actually because of emotion and consequences. G.K. Chesterton put it this way in his book, Orthodoxy, he says this, the believers in miracles accept them rightly or wrongly because they have evidence for them. The disbelievers in miracles deny them rightly or wrongly because they have a doctrine against them. In other words, what this is saying is the completely the reverse of many pe- what many people think. They think that those of us who are Christians believe because that's what we're taught, because that's our faith. And that those who disbelieve, disbelieve because of evidence. But Chesterton rightly points out it's the other way around. People who say there are no miracles, that's a statement of faith. They don't know that. They can't say that without just making it as a blanket statement. Chesterton again says this, it is we Christians who accept all actual evidence It is you rationalists who refuse actual evidence being constrained to do so by your creed. Miracles don't happen. So there are lots and lots and lots of people today who whilst they'll celebrate Easter uh, with the chocolate eggs and they even like the nice religious sound bites and the nice words and the talk about newness of life and daffodils and lambs and everything else. Because of what they believe, they can accept it. As a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ because of the evidence. And I want to present to you what that evidence is, not as a kind of thing to to, to persuade only, though 
that is in there. John says he records these things in his version in John's gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life. But also to uh, encourage us in what the Scripture calls our most reasonable faith. So let's go to Luke 24, and these first 11 verses tell us a great deal, provide us a great deal in terms of the evidence. I'm not going to go into all of it, but let me just mention some things. Look at verse 3. The women do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 5, after seeing two men enclose the angels in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. The women are perplexed and frightened. Matthew Henry says, good Christians often perplex themselves about that with which they should comfort and encourage themselves. These women had been told that Jesus would rise from the dead, but they turn up at his tomb to embalm him. They didn't believe it. And that's why verse 5 is a kind of rebuke. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The story of Mary Magdalena, who was one of the women, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were there is the story of Easter, the empty tomb. And it is one that is often dismissed as nonsense. The disciples thought it was nonsense as well. Look at verse 11. When they went back and told the disciples, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Why? Because they had seen Jesus crucified. They'd actually seen with their own eyes Jesus crucified, and it's the most horrendous thing. I, I didn't mean to do this, but on Friday, uh, as I was, this sounds really weird, it shows you the advantages of an iPhone. On Friday, as I was getting ready to go and speak at a Good Friday service in Cumbernauld, uh, in the middle of a very, very rundown and depressed area, I was thinking, what message of hope does Good Friday bring? And maybe this is too much personal information, but I was lying in the bath with my iPhone, and YouTube came up, and someone had sent me a YouTube clip of the Passion of the Christ. And it's the uh, Mel Gibson's film, and it's the scene where Jesus is whipped. And I've, I've watched that film once, and it had an enormous impact upon me. I've never watched it again. And even that short four-minute clip was just absolutely astonishing. This is not some religious icon. This really happened. This man was... His skin was ripped to shreds by a whip with bone in it that had been put to, to cause the maximum cruelty and horror. And he did so whilst his mother stood and watched. And the disciples had seen that. It was real. It was absolutely horrendous, and it was real. Furthermore, they'd seen his dead body being entombed and the stone being rolled across. And what they saw was what they believed. Despite what they had been taught, despite what Jesus said, like most human beings, they limited reality to their own experience, and our experience tells us that dead people don't rise from the dead. Admittedly, in their case, they'd seen Lazarus, they'd seen a couple of others, but this was at the hands of Jesus. Now, Jesus was dead. Who was going to raise Jesus? And the point about that is simply this. People do not believe things that are outside their own sphere of reference, whatever the evidence. Our criteria is ourselves and our own experience. 
And that's the problem that we so often have. We come to God and we say, God, show me this. God, show me that. God, give me this. And God pours out evidence and truth and reality, but because we judge everything by our limited experience, we reject so much of it. They forgot the words of Christ as well. Sometimes you can't but be amazed at the stupidity of the disciples who so often profess that they believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and the true Messiah, and had so often been told that He must die and rise again and then enter into His glory, had seen Him more than once raise the dead. But they didn't believe that He would raise, He he Himself would be raised. It is true what Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And that's the same today. People forget the words of Christ. Uh, When I did the interview with Anna Magnuson, and it was a 45-minute interview that was distilled down to eight, um, the thing that struck me was how Anna represents so many people who are incredibly intelligent people, but who have an emotional difficulty, not an intellectual, an emotional difficulty with the idea of Christ being raised from the dead. Why should you think it extraordinary, says Paul, when he's speaking uh, to the Greeks in Athens, why should you think it extraordinary that God should raise someone from the dead? Why should that be extraordinary? Why should that be considered to be impossible? And so, today, lots of people, even in churches, will be saying to people, well, Jesus is risen from the dead, and isn't it wonderful, and it's fantastic, but they'll say, you don't have to take it literally. So, you take it metaphorically. So, what does that mean? It means nothing. It actually just means nothing. It's just verbal garbage. They, they try and explain it away. The women went to the wrong tomb. The story of the empty tomb was a later development by the disciples. The various accounts of the empty tomb do not match up. The bones of Jesus are still in Palestine, and so on. Now, the answers to all those statements are very clear. It's incredible that these named women, not only them, but others, should get it completely wrong. If they went to the wrong tomb, then when they were going around proclaiming Jesus is alive, all that the Romans had to do was say, you went to the wrong tomb, here he is, here's the body. But they couldn't, because the body wasn't there. Why would the disciples themselves develop a story which showed them in such a bad light and the women in such a good light? If they made this up, then you would have had Peter and James and John going to the tomb and the women outside wailing hysterically like women doing, not really believing it, and the disciples go in and they believe. But instead, what you've got is you've got the women going to the tomb, acting practically, even though they didn't think Jesus was alive, and the men staying at home, who knows, doing what? Doing what men do, nothing. Just hanging around. And then when the women come back and say he's alive, the men say, you're a bunch of hysterical women. We don't believe you. Except Peter, who in his mind begins to think, maybe, maybe, maybe. And he gets up and he runs to the tomb. The point is, you would not, if you wanted to make the disciples out to be heroes, if they were making it up, you would not write the story in this way. If you wanted to prove that Jesus was risen from the dead in terms of literature, you would not in a misogynistic culture like the culture this was, have women as your chief witnesses. But the Bible doesn't care. The Bible just tells you the truth. And it's the very unlikeliness of it that actually helps indicate that. 
It's a marvelous book by John Wenham called Easter Enigma, which shows how the various accounts gel together. When there's an, an amazing event, we should not be surprised at such different accounts, even when inspired by the Spirit. So, here's a second principle. The first principle is that people do not believe things that are outside their own sphere of reference, whatever the evidence. The second principle is this. The biblical accounts are reliable and credible, especially when we take into account the fact of the humanity of the authors. They're reliable and credible, especially when we take into account the humanity of the authors. God's Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's why if there is anyone who is tempted to say, well, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says, it doesn't matter if it really did happen, it's just poetry. I mean, I was utterly astounded to hear the priest on the program this morning saying, John 21 is just a poetic account. No, it's not. There's no poetry in it whatsoever. It's not written poetically. It's not designed as poetry. It may make you feel like you want to write poetry, but it's not poetry. This is history. This is reality. And I am not celebrating Easter because it's a glorious poem. I'm going to write glorious poems because Easter is a fact. It's a reality. Let's go on to Luke. uh, Read on verse 13. Luke 24. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is now the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who'd said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. John 19.25 says, Standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother 
and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalena. I suspect that the two disciples are this Clopas and his wife. His wife, who had stood and watched Jesus be crucified. And they're walking along the road, discouraged and despondent, obviously talking about these things. They are kept from recognizing him because he wanted to talk to them and show them from the Bible what was to happen. Because for Jesus, more than his actual literal appearance, which was there as evidence, it was the teaching of the Scriptures. It is absolutely essential that we talk about these things and that we try and find out. And again, if you're a Christian, we need to talk and find out more. If you're not a Christian, you really need to talk and find out more because if this is not true, you need to know that. If it is true, you need to find out. Verse 25, Jesus says, you are foolish to these two. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe. The Old Testament is essential to understanding the cross, but it wasn't enough. It was only when Jesus sat at the table with Cleopas and possibly his wife or his friend, the bread being broken, reminding them of the miracles of feeding as he broke bread in the Last Supper, the hearts burning within as the Scriptures are opened and the presence of Christ. That's the great thing about the Word of God, that as the Word of God is taught, as the Word of God is proclaimed, it's not a dry book. It's the means that Christ uses to communicate Himself to us. It's true, they said, verse 34, the Lord is risen. The disciples now had loads of evidence. They had the testimony of the women. They had the testimony of Peter. They now had the testimony of Cleopas and his friend. They gathered together to hear these things. And look at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be, be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. These weren't men who were going, oh, Jesus is alive. We heard that. Hi, Jesus. They were shocked. They thought a ghost. He said to them, why? Why are you troubled? Why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Oh, but the, the resurrection of Jesus is not really literal. And when Jesus said, touch me and see, he really meant you've got to touch me with your feelings and, and reach out to my heart and so on. No, rubbish. Where'd you get that from? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. It's a physical presence. And they sound it so difficult. Look at verse 41. He showed them his hands and feet, verse 40, and while they still not, did not believe it, why didn't they believe it? Because of joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it in their presence. I love that reason for disbelieving. They, they, they don't believe because it's such good news. It's not that these are a bunch of men who desperately want to believe because they're so happy, because they're so unhappy and discouraged, they get, they get to a stage where they don't believe because it's just such incredible news that they find it. No. They, they were Scots Calvinists in this sense, that something good happens to you, you go, nah, nah, that, that can't. There's got to be a, there's a catch here somewhere. There's something wrong. There's something not right. When we were coming into the church, um, I, I said to one of the guys in the door, 
no, there's something wrong here. They said, what's wrong? I said, there's nothing wrong. Everyone's here is supposed to be. Everything's working that's supposed to be. We're on time. We could start on time. It's not right. There's something wrong that everything's right, if you see what I mean, if that doesn't sound. That's a mentality that we have. Well, that's the mentality that these disciples had. No, 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 no. He can't have risen from the dead. No, 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 no. That's just too good. That's just, wait, no, no. I don't believe it. No, I don't believe it because it's bad, but I don't believe it because of joy and amazement. And what does he do? Verse 45. Yeah, he does the eats and shows he's physically there. And then he reminds him, 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled, what's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Jesus never says, just believe, without understanding. He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. In order to understand the Scriptures, here is a very simple key to understanding this book. Everything in the Bible points to Christ. Everything points to Christ. That's written in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, the Psalms, and of course now the New Testament. And he says they are to go out and teach those same Scriptures. This is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit to teach the word of the Spirit to all nations. These Jewish peasants, fishermen, tax collectors, rebels were going to go to India. Thomas went to India. They were going to go to North Africa. They were going to go to Greece and as far as Spain, even within their lifetime, and teach the good news of Jesus Christ, which would turn the mighty Roman Empire, indeed the whole world, upside down. Because all Scripture points to Christ. And then the last thing is just this. Let me read just these last few verses. Verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, this is much later on, several days later, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. In the Gospel of Luke, it's often recorded that the presence of Jesus is accepted with joy. And yet, verse 17 Look what it says. What are you discussing? Together as you walk along, they stood still, their faces downcast. They were downcast and discouraged and depressed because they had missed the joy of what we call Easter. They had missed the joy of the resurrection because they failed to pay enough attention to and believe the Word of God in its entirety. Those who neglect the study of God's Word do not realize how much you are missing. Why are you troubled? Verse 38. Why do doubts arise, arise in your minds? They worshipped him in great joy. Now again, just to ask a question of the text. Why were they so happy? Verse 52. Jesus is taken away this time. And instead of being discouraged and depressed, they are happy. Jesus is gone and they are happy. Why? They worshipped him with great joy. It's so different from their experience at his death because the difference is this. Christ is risen. 
he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And from that point on until the day that they died, and for some of the disciples it would be very soon, but for John and Peter it would be many years in the future, but from that point on, all their lives would be saying, ah, that's what that meant. When he taught us this, the Holy Spirit brought it back to their minds. When he taught us this, that's what that meant. All the teaching that Jesus gave was confirmed by his resurrection from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all his teaching, including the Sermon on the Mount, is a load of baloney. It's not worth it. Just throw it away. But it's all validated and it's all proven by his resurrection from the dead. You know, there are people today who will smile knowingly at what they consider to be the naive, simplistic faith of those who believe that Jesus is alive that Jesus does hear and answer prayer, and that He still speaks to His people today. But for those of us who do believe, we are blessed. We know, I would say three things. We know that our sins are forgiven because His atonement has been accepted. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, so you are here, and you are guilty, and you feel bad, and you are discouraged, and you are depressed. It's forgiven. It is forgiven, it is forgiven, it cannot be unforgiven. We know that our Savior lives evermore to intercede for us and that He will one day return. Who's on my side? Who believes? Who trusts? What about the state of the church? Who cares in comparison with knowing that Christ is alive and the gates of hell cannot prevail against His church? He is alive. Our Savior lives evermore to intercede for us. If your joy in Easter is that it's springtime, that there's lambs, that there's daffodils, that you get chocolate eggs, and it's quite a positive message that you get, you haven't got it. You really haven't got it. But if your joy is that Christ is alive, then um, what's that song that Slade sings? I wish it could be Christmas every day. Well, the Easter version is, I wish it could be Easter every day. Well, it is. It is Easter every day. For the Christian, Christ is not just risen today. He's risen tomorrow. He's risen the next day. He's risen the next day. And that does bring us joy. We have joy as we believe in the risen Christ because now Christ's life makes sense. The cross makes sense. The empty tomb makes sense. The Bible makes sense. Our lives make sense. It's not nonsense. And for those who regard the cross and the resurrection as nonsense... They don't see the world as it really is, but we do, and that's why we celebrate, because it is true. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're risen. Thank you that this is true. We don't need all the philosophical speculations and all the metaphors and everything else. You rose. You ate fish. You showed your body. You asked people to touch you. You convinced the skeptical disciples, the fearful women, even doubting Thomas, came to call you, my Lord and my God. Help each of us to believe the testimony that you have granted to us through your word, through the power of your spirit, through the life that is evident that comes from you. In your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. 
That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.